You are listening to SequelCast 2 and Friends, part of the Tokyo Beat Podcast Network. They can't hurt her. Whoever a wolf imprints on can't be harmed. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is SequelCast. They are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast, and your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show will now begin. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2 and Friends. Sequel Cast 2 and Friends is a podcast looking at movies and a franchise one film at a time. This time around we are looking at the Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part 1. That's right, a, a book so large they had to do it into two separate movies. Or did they? But we'll discuss that. Uh, this is directed by Bill Condon, and uh, I met Bradley Shergy with me as Thrasher. Ha ha! El Diablo! And Alex. Going to the chapel and we're gonna be married. Yeah, so this one, it's, it's interesting, you know, the... Um, the original author of the book, Stephanie Meyer, she had a lot of input into these film series. I'm not sure if that normally would have been the case, but since uh, after Harry Potter and J.K. Rowling and all that, you know, you, you saw some authors of in this YA stuff get involved in the movies more. And she said, well, we really can't do that last book until we do two separate movies. But um, and I, I don't know if well, Breaking this, Dawn was this the first time that that had happened where in the franchise they had deliberately bifurcated a novel to get two more movies out of it. I think they did that with a Harry Potter, right? Yeah, but that didn't this was, come out first? Yeah, this came. I think yeah, this came out first. I oh, think. not yet. But um, I mean, I can look that up. Hold on. Uh, but and I mean, it happened yeah, again with Hunger Games. It yeah, did. I mean, yeah, it just to me, it just feels like such a, a naked grab for more money. I'm um, it, it's like what they did on television with some of those last seasons of Battlestar Galactica, where they did season one, part one, season two, part two. And they they break it up by a whole year. And that's to, practically uh, the model on stream. Yeah, yeah. So this is a yeah, okay. the uh, Twilight. This one came out in 2011, and uh, the Harry Potter series wrapped up 2010. The last film was okay. So Harry Potter might have been the first. Now, not the first. Maybe the first real big one in recent memory to to do it. But yeah, it just feels like. And when you see part one or part two, I think the Godfather part one, the Godfather part two, which. To me, denotes you know kind of class or maturity, and that's been kind of done a whole lot. So, um, it's kind of lost whatever value it had, and this stuff, it's um, you never know. So, forever is only the beginning, as the poster uh, says. Uh, what does that even mean? This movie feels like it takes forever to go, um, <laughs> and, and it leaves us at the beginning. Yeah, and uh, Bill Condon, you know, uh, I think I teased this last time, but apparently. Robert Pattinson really pushed for Gus Van Sant to direct these last two movies. Oh, man. And that, that would have been neat. And uh, Van Sant went in for an interview and uh, said, you know, yeah, I'd like to do it. And then they, they went with Bill Condon instead because of, I, apparently they're looking for more of like a PowerPoint presentation where you say, oh, this is the color scheme I'm going to use. These are the themes I want to do. Yeah. And, and Gus Van Sant, he, he's always been, you know, pretty 
stayed his uh, put his foot in the indie film world and, and stayed there more or less with some exceptions like that Psycho remake we talked about a few years ago. Right. Um, and, and even then it was a fucking catastrophe, you know, it was a box office disaster. Sure, but like he, you know, is a guy that usually writes and directs his own pictures and he will do these things on like low budgets and doesn't feel like he has to make a big uh, dog and pony show to convince people as why he should direct something. Oh, and also, if Gus Van Zandt directed these pictures, they would have been Gus Van Zandt pictures of Twilight. It, they would mm. not resemble anything that had come before or after. I mean, like, the studio could push, but he could just say, fuck off, I'm Gus Van Zandt and I'm doing my movie. He's not going to, you know, they're not going to say, could you, like, hey, maybe backpedal uh, your Gus Van Zantness, and he's going to say no. <laughs> Gus Van Zandt presents Bram Stoker's presents Stephanie Meyer's Twilight. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been a lot of wandering in the woods and introspection and, and things, I think. Um, but, I mean, it would have been at least something. But Bill Condon, I mean, him, him he's no slouch. He did uh, Gods and Monsters uh, and um, Dream Girls. And, I mean, he, he I think he started directing with a sequel, right? Candyman yeah, 2, uh, Farewell Candy to the Man. Flesh. Yeah, which I which, think is pretty damn good, actually. It is, except for all the jump scares, but I think that's part of when it was made. It, yeah. It, it uses the same piano stain over and over again, and at one point, in the, I think one scene, I could swear there's like three fake jump scares in a row. <laughs> but, there's um, yeah. a pretty underrated film of his from 2015, Mr. Holmes. It's not a great movie, but it's an interesting take on the on the Sherlock Holmes lore. I oh, that's uh, Ian McKellen, right? Yeah, I'd recommend it. I think it's pretty cool. Sure. I mean, yeah, so he, he's done a lot of stuff, and... Um, I think here, I mean, he, he mentions in uh, in an interview, this one reminded him uh, more of the first film. And I guess I can kind of see it in that it's more about the relationship. That also means there's not much happening. Like, they get married, there's a honeymoon, they have a baby, and that's, like, mostly what the plot is. Well, there's not yeah. much for the rest of the cast to do who are excised for about half of this film. <laughs> and even the wedding at the beginning, it's almost like... Uh, the uh, deer hunter or something. It feels yeah, like as long as a real wedding. <laughs> right. But like the, with the deer hunter, the first like hour of the film is a wedding and it works because juxtaposed against the horror of Vietnam. You're like, Whoa, crazy here. It's juxtaposed with a honeymoon. <laughs> it's not, not much contrast there from wedding to honeymoon. It's kind of like what happens after a wedding. I admit that the honeymoon that they went to Brazil uh, surprised me and that they go to their own little, you know, private island that Carlisle owns is and when they first um, have, have sex, they like break some of the foundation of the house. I thought that was sort of funny. But it's again, this it is, is PG-13. It is. It, yeah. Well, yeah. So so it's, you know, we've talked about the sexual politics of, of these films. And so <sighs> they can't have sex until they're married. Uh, but when they get married, oh, they have, have some sex. And it's. To the point where what should be this like kind of thrilling romantic moment becomes comical because like what's the first thing they do? They bone so hard we see their bed shatter. Yeah, it's see, it's like they they do they do bone and they bone down, but like it then they don't. Like then he's like, I can't hurt you, I can't touch you, uh, I can't control myself around you because I'm a vampire and you're a fucking human. Uh, I'm Edward Cullen. Um and then it's like we're back. We're kind of like back to square one, where she's like, you know, trying to like wear cute lingerie and stuff like that. And he's like, 
boo, I'm going to turn over. I don't like having sex with my wife. Um, and it just feels so fucking vanilla. I just like speaking of vanilla, there's a scene where well, I think he's naked in the ocean and she goes out naked with him. And it's PG-13, so it's filmed in such a way. But also, I'm not convinced they were in the ocean. They for... couldn't have been. Like, <laughs> I mean, the paparazzi photos would have gotten out. I think, you know, that would have been because they, uh, Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson did have a relationship for a little bit there. About um, 8% of this film was in front of a green screen. It, it, it feels like that some ways. And yeah. um, it it just, the framing of it, all of it just seems really, like, it, it seems like this wants to be, an R-rated story, especially sort of towards the... I mean, you know, the big thing is, oh, oh, she gets pregnant, but it's with a vampire kid. It's going to be half human, half vampire. And I will give the movie props for this. You have really good makeup, I think, when she gets pregnant and she when gets When she goes really all sick. fucking Dallas Buyers yeah. Club, yeah. I, yeah, I, yeah, I will yeah. argue, not to get ahead of ourselves, but I will argue that sure. her makeup is too good. She <laughs> looks like somebody who is minutes away from dying, dying. from cancer. And I'm yeah. trying... I'm trying not to be flippant because I have seen that, but like, sure. It is too horrific for this movie. The the way they make her work. And I think that's a problem, particularly in this film. There are some real world horrors that this movie gets so close to depicting by accident. And like, you know, right. her, her illness during the pregnancy is one, but then like one of the others is there's these pair of, there's a pair of like housekeepers who come into the, the, the place on the Island every now and then to clean things up. And one of the things that happens is that they see that Bella has these bruises on her arms. Well, the bruises are from the hard fucking, but of course they assume that some horrible physical abuse is happening to her, but that's a real thing. I know, like, yeah. It's yeah. like there's all we're dealing with vampires and werewolves and shit. But like when we get close to like something like visceral or or disturbing, it's like domestic abuse, like you know, fucking basically eating away till you're like a fucking frame of a person. Um, and it's like that, like you said, Thrasher. It's like that's where we put our energy towards. And then like not the vampire shit. That's just like playing baseball and fucking running through the woods. Oh, what do you do? And sparkling. Um, it just feels so fucking tonally off to me. You know, and also, I, I hope those housekeepers are very well paid because it, it's played as a joke. But it, but like the last time we see them, like they go into the bedroom and it's all just wrecked furniture from the hard fucking. And like, I feel I feel bad that they have to clean that up. Also, this is kind of like where the, like the wealth and privilege of the Collins begins to like kind of fucking annoy me a little bit. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, like, of course they're going to go on, like, a fucking, you know, a baller fucking honeymoon, you know what I mean? But it's like, my private island with this fucking, you know, private house and everything's fucking perfect. And I can fucking smash the bed because the fucking housekeepers will fix it for me. Yeah, can it's, you just imagine what the evil vampires are up to with their private uh, islands? Yeah, I know, right? I, but, I thought, I, how funny would it be if, like... They fucking like take the speedboat out to the island, and it's just this like fucking broy man cave with like beanbag chairs and video <laughs> games. And he's like, "Hey, Bella, microwave me up some fucking potato skins." <laughs> <laughs> well, you I mean, what? Oh, and fucking beer yeah. cans yeah. everywhere. But also with the housekeepers, it once again raises the question: How the hell are the vampires keeping themselves secret? Because the housekeepers just flat out seem to know. 
and are also like they they'll take the job, but they're also horrified who their clients are. Right. It also that felt kind of like culturally like pandering in a way. Is that like well they're you know in touch with the world, so they're gonna know because they're like earthy Portuguese people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That like kind of corny slummy thing. It's like how they kind of treat the the indigenous people in the film as well. You know. I mean, it's what, like what oh. Is it- What's the action when they see like she's pregnant? They're like, ay, 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 el diablo. I mean, it's yeah, just very, yeah, like, oh, phantasma vampiri. Yeah, it's just, just sort of stereotypical kind of implication that they're they're out of touch or they're dumb or it's like I don't. I mean, also, wouldn't the bed shouldn't the bed be like titanium or something? Wouldn't yeah, right? The, because it's not like a normal. I mean, maybe they want it to appear normal, but. They they would have to know that has to happen. Or it's like, oh, he broke the bed. I mean, is that well, do they have like a uh, I, photos of broken beds in a photo album somewhere? That's yeah, <laughs> like I well, mean, you know, I feel like I I feel like because we they establish in the first film that the Cullens don't have beds because they don't sleep. They just kind of have couches for reclining and reading on and being dramatic upon. So I could only assume that that bed was installed moments before Bella and Edward <laughs> arrived. So we, um, you mentioned characters not having a lot to do here. As, as their health declines, they have to go back and Carlisle gets to analyze the blood and, you know, there hasn't been a human knocked up by a vampire, which that in itself seems... Forest like that. I'm like very really? unlikely. To me. Yeah, like but, okay. So vampires kind of look like humans, and you think there wouldn't be attraction or 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 sex or pregnancy. I or, mean, we'll, or maybe, we will talk maybe, about that yeah. in part two because that the notion that this doesn't happen comes back again in a particular way. Well, this is another thing that kind of annoys me is that like when you have a bunch of fucking characters standing in a room saying like, but it's impossible. Uh, this has never happened. This can happen. And it's like, you've got a fucking doctor, all right? You are a student (laughs) of medicine. You practice on the human body. You've got some fucking semblance of what's what. It's not impossible because it just fucking happened. Stop standing around in a circle saying, we've never seen this before. It's impossible. Well, you know, fucking the ultrasound says otherwise. Um, And also, like... Again, like, you're going to tell me through the fucking centuries of vampires dicking around that they're not fucking and that, like, no one's been knocked up before. Like, granted, it's unprecedented, right. sure, but, like, come on. Yeah, yeah, it does. It 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 is it is the kind of thing where I can only assume that it, it's, well, I mean, we will find out later that it has happened before. It's just ridiculously rare. So maybe yeah. it's rare enough that it's only happened two or three times. Who knows? Um, but yeah, it does. It does seem like you know you roll the dice enough. This had to have. There should at least be a rumor about it. Um, but and this is this also is when we get into the the politics of the film because you know yeah Bella is pregnant with a half human half vampire and its presence in her body is slowly killing her, and the movie kind of dances around abortion to save the mother's life. Um, which in a movie that has in a series that has been this kind of, I don't want to use the word frivolous, but I feel like frivolous might be the right word in a series that's been, that's been very frivolous, but wants to present everything as portentous. This, this movie has not earned the gravitas to frankly address that issue. Right. But then the fact that the fact that they never just say the word abortion infuriates me. Right. And in doing so, they actually kind of 
make it more bold in a negative way by saying like the baby can kill Bella or she, you know, I want to keep it. It's like, like you said, it dances around it, but it kind of emphasizes it in like this really obnoxious way. It would be like seeing like a fucking 12 year old at like a fucking, you know, uh, poetry slam being like, I'm going to talk about abortion. You know what I mean? Like, it's like very immature stance on a very like serious topic. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then, and the, and then the irony of it is that, is that Edward like, is the only one who seems to think that no Bella's life should be the priority here, but Bella never for a second considers uh, ending the pregnancy to the point where it, where it seems almost suicidal that she's willing to go through with it. Yeah. And you, you have a little bit for um, Jacob to do. Played yeah. by Taylor Lautner. And, but it, it's such a dumb scene. I mean, so the, the, the wolves and the vampires don't really get along that well. And they're like, oh, that this baby thing is going to be a big, uh, big threat. So, fair enough. And and the wolves want to go and kill her. And then so everyone turns into wolves and they have this confrontation. But, but I found the audio mix very poor, where it's trying to make Jacob and the wolves like talking to each other. Yeah, but, that like, was so stupid. But it's kind of echoey. And then Taylor Lautner, as an actor, it doesn't seem to. I think maybe just because of his age, not 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 his acting necessarily, it doesn't really have that presence. Because he wants to say, like, hey, we're doing this. But he kind of does it, like, softly. And it has, it has all these weird echoey and, and wolves howling. And I just started giggling. Like, it's not supposed to be funny. It's, it's, it's fucking be... hilarious, though, because it's so stupid. They have these, like, you yeah. know, like, oh, spooky wolf voices. Oh, oh but Bella. You know, it's uh-huh. fucking. Yeah, it's so dumb. It's 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 one of those things where it probably would have been better to have them have the conversation in their human form and then transform when they go to get violent. Yeah, yeah exactly. That would have been better. And um, and you know it, it, you know once again the MVP of this movie is Billy Burke as Charlie Swan. I know because he just has to act against this portentous bullshit. <laughs> Oh, that's right, because uh, Jacob is, like, there with his shirt off, and he's like, want to see something weird, and he takes his pants off. Oh, no, that's off. later. That's in the that's second the next movie, film. Yeah. Oh, that's in the next movie. Whoops. Okay, but, I mean, yeah, he has to, uh, well, they blend together, part one and part two, and so little happens in this one. But, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, it's just the father with the mustache and how he acts at the wedding, and he, he he's really seen a lot. I just feel really bad for him. I would, I mean, a movie from his point of view, I think, would be fascinating. I, I was going to for... suggest that for the second film, but yeah, like I want to see this series from his perspective. <laughs> I know. I feel bad for the character and I kind of feel bad for the actor. Cause like, again, you're like the one, you know, like per, you know, student of the regular world here and you have to act against all this dumb shit. It also like, what do they say? She got like fucking food poisoning or something. Like, yeah. They say she got like food poisoning or like the, a tropical flu or something, which is why yeah, he can't so... just, Right. Aye, aye, aye. Which is weird, because, like, you know, phones exist, so she's too sick to call. I know, yeah, or text or whatever, you know. Now, admit, of... I have been too sick to call before, but, like... Right, but it's usually, like, the 24-hour when your when your fever breaks, period, you know? And then there's a point where the film, like, really kind of takes a turn for the gross when they realize, oh, well, the reason the baby's killing Bella is that it's, like, absorbing her blood. So she needs more blood. But rather than do a transfusion, <laughs> they mm-hmm. put blood in a styrofoam 
some cup and she drinks it. <laughs> oh, that is strangely. It's it's you know it's really weird. If if uh, if I see a vampire drinking blood in a movie, I'm like, ooh, that's kind of sexy. I see a human drinking blood in a, in a movie, I'm like, oh, that's gross. You might catch that. right. I know. Yeah, you might want to get that tested. Oh, and this is like I put like I just kind of like put myself in the movie for a second, and they're like, oh, like it's like this big fucking revelation that a vampire impregnated a human, and then their kid is half vampire, and ergo feeding off the blood of its mother. And, like, I've put myself in that situation. Like, I'd be the guy in, like, the fucking computer chair playing with a slinky who turns around and goes, like, yeah, no shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, really? Fucking Not just a- that. Like, it made me think, well, what, what about a pregnant vampire? Don't, wouldn't they have the same thing, maybe, where they need blood? Or is it just because vampires have blood all right. the time anyway? You're, you're like not going to super... need a lot of formula here. You're going to need fucking mm. blood. Which, yeah. which is yeah. which is like another thing that I don't think they ever talk or plan for, which is, well, when she's born, is she going to need more blood? Yeah, exactly. Mm. Weather Tokyo Fresh Podcast. I'm David. I'm Jordan. We're a comedy lifestyle podcast diving into the weird and interesting side of Japan. We often share stories about our lives in Japan, you know, and how you can avoid making the same mistakes. So if you want to take advice from two idiots who have been living here far too long, check out the Tokyo Fresh Podcast. Only on the Tokyo Beat Network. I mean, I even read the book, but from what I was reading of of, um, different, like, posts on Reddit and stuff, at the time the film uh, was out, people were mentioning things like, in the book, she's like vomiting blood and the delivery is extremely violent and everyone's like, oh, it's going to be rated R because of this scene. And uh, instead, it's done in such kind of a, the delivery stuff is in such an offhanded way. You're not really sure what's happening. Uh, as we mentioned, you know, the makeup is very good, of course, but you, you don't get the sense of the uh, the extraordinary trauma more so than a human birth. Well, it's... I will say that the the birth scene is I found it very horrific, probably more so than the filmmakers intended. Because one, you just have how close to death Bella looks, mm-hmm. but then just the fact that apparently the force of the labor is enough to like shatter her spine, and that weird backbreaking move she does that that was just dis- I found that disturbing as heck. Uh, and I don't, and I think more so than the fil- than the filmmakers want. Like what we see is pro- is definitely the softened version of the scene based on what's in the book. But just the idea that something in your body can be born with such force that your back bends until it breaks. Oh, yeah. I, I feel like they should have had like David Cronenberg as like a consultant for the scene. But <laughs> <laughs> again, it would definitely be rated R. <laughs> but then, uh, but. Then, you know, but, you know, as as she's dying because of all she's been through and because her her spine is broken, uh, Edward finally uh, turns her into a vampire to save her life. Right. And we do get kind of a nice moment where we see like the blood, you know, moving through her system. It's kind of a nice like way to visualize the transformation her body's going through. Right. Um, But then we get to probably the most disturbing thing in the film. So. I, I will congratulate them. They did not spring this on us in this film. This concept is seeded in the earlier movies, 
but there's a whole deal about how like the werewolves can imprint on somebody and that's how like they mate for mm. life uh and jacob you know <laughs> when the baby's born jacob comes to see the and jacob had groused a bit about how you know he loves bella but he never actually imprinted on her and things like that <laughs> and then he sees the baby and he imprints on the baby which <laughs> i'm sorry i've been giggling this whole time <laughs> no no like it's it's better it's better to giggle than to scream uh i would say because like this this raises a lot of really grotesque implications because well first it means that he is now in romantic love with an infant he basically walked into a fucking nursery and was like i'll tap that yeah i'm gonna fuck this baby when it's time (laughs) Yeah, when it's when it's time, when he'll be in his forties, I guess. Um, right. Oh wow. No baby. B- no baby before it's time. But but it <sighs> also but it also you know rate raises a just like a really dark implication. Like okay, so because 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 this is the thing, love is not rational, and part of being an adult is is learning that just because you have romantic feelings for someone doesn't mean they're ever going to reciprocate. And you know, uh, and yes. so so. How many times in in werewolf history has a werewolf imprinted on somebody who doesn't want to have anything to do with them? Yeah, so is this one of those things where, like, you know, you fucking imprint after you fly around on a magic carpet and fall in love while the music's playing? Or if I just, like, ran up to some random person on the street and, like, you know, rub my scent on them, would they fall in love with me? Is that how that works? Like, I, I don't know. Yeah, the well, in the next film, they're like, "Oh, and he, he, I couldn't help it, and uh, it just happens." And I, but it, that is with a baby. It's so strange that the baby's name is Renesme, which is such a strange. It doesn't even sound like a name, really. I, yeah, it, it doesn't. It's, it's a silly name, but I have to give the movie credit. A lot of parents were doing things like that at the time, where you just hybridized two other names to make a new name. <laughs> yeah, but like, well, so when yeah. they turn Bella, right? It's, like, supposed to be this big fucking whammy moment. I'm like, it's actually been on the table since, like, she's fallen in love with this guy. So it's like, oh, shocker. He had to fucking turn her into a vampire to save her. Um, I mean, that they she wanted to be turned since the fucking start. Well, and then the other thing, too, though, is that, like, so why did Jacob fucking rub his scent on the baby? Like, just well, to do it? Was it revenge? Because he can't well, have Bella? Is it well, just, no, like, no, tragedy? He, he, he didn't they make it pretty clear that you don't choose who you imprint on it just happens so okay. i guess just the roll of the dice he got unlucky and he imprinted on an infant <laughs> which again because it's an infant is really really disturbing oh Spe- man. speaking of disturbing we were passing around pictures of i guess when they filmed this and with the uh, with the baby originally they had a robot baby that uh. was so creepy that they replaced it with a, a CG baby that looks mostly human. Yeah, now, admittedly, like the... we don't see much of the baby in this film. It's in part no, no, two no. that the baby's really showcased. But yeah, that animatronic toddler that they made is, it is so disturbing. I am shocked it didn't get repurposed and given its own franchise. It should oh, have been a doll that murders people. Like horror movie, but apparently Legends on the set, one of the producers said it's a, it's the worst monstrosity ever put to film, which I think is a bit much. Okay. Apparently, like because it's it was had that the robotic the robotics would um, fail and it would just start randomly staring at people on the set when it wasn't supposed to, or the head would start spinning. Yeah, like you know, it's the exact opposite of Baby Yoda. 
yeah, yeah. exactly. It's it it's just it has these like adult lips and the eyes and the cheeks. Just it's I don't know what because it's not like the vampires look that much different from the humans in these movies anyway. Like they're slightly paler. They got rid of that shimmering skin effect because it's expensive, I guess. And well, the ba- know, the baby's like fucking Yodorowski's Cabbage Patch Kid. Like it's fucking <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> well, I think I mean is admittedly like having an infant on a set. That is expensive. You can't have them on set for very long. You gotta have their the the parent and like a whole like pediatrician staff there. There's very there's very limited things you can do with them. T- to the but but I can't imagine that building that the that both the making the animatronic and then also the digital compositing they do later that couldn't possibly be cheaper than just using a real baby for two to three close-up shots and then just using a doll for everything mm-hmm. else right yeah i mean what was it i think it was american snipers at the bradley cooper film yeah where he just has like a fucking plastic baby or it's clearly a plastic baby and um uh, Cooper does a good job acting against it, but it's just like in some of the well, shots, it's like, oh, they weren't even trying to make it. I can understand the fake baby in that scene because he's like all PTSD out and like fucking he's like holding this thing and like acting intensely and angrily. So like you don't want to have like an infant in your hands when you're no, doing traumatized. that shit. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, but maybe just write the kid out of the scene. But whatever. Um, but the thing with this, though, is that like. What are the stakes here? Like, they don't feel like Bella gets turned into a vampire, the baby might kill her, but it's just, like, fucking this lazy logline to, like, fucking not talk about abortion but make it the focal point of the entire movie. But not talk about have done it. this whole kind of storyline in maybe, like, 15 minutes or something? Yeah. In the next film? Exactly. Or you could even open with the, oh, we got a baby, gee, wasn't that... I mean, I don't know, I guess you'd have I to... Mean, it's... I think it. I think it is clear that this did not need to be two movies. Oh yeah, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. And and did you see and, the the scene in the credits? Oh, there was. Yeah, the, oh uh, yes, the post credits uh-huh. scene. No, I didn't actually. I oh was, it. So it, it's it's with the Volturi. Yeah, yeah. We we go to you know we see the Volturi secretary now a vampire going to the Volturi, and she like presents a report to the the Council of Snapes, uh, and and it's just like. <laughs> If you had asked me to make a joke about what the post credit scene would be, it would be exactly this, because, like, the main evil one just kind of, like, sits up high in his throne and is like, ah, yes, let the games begin. Oh, my God. They have something we want. We're going to go get it. <laughs> it's, but yeah, it's it's everything. It's fun. It's everything the movie isn't. And yeah. it, it, for whatever reason, I mean, you did start seeing post-credit scenes in American films around this time, but like it, it waits until pretty far into the credits. But I, I thought that was a little bit surprising. Yeah. It, and, but, you know, I guess, you know, they finally picked up, Oh, well, we know we're getting that sequel. Might as well do a post-credit sequence. They're all okay. the rage now. Thanks to right. Iron Man. Um, like, can we go back to the imprinting thing? Oh, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. For a second, though. So like when they, I remember they talk about it cause Jake is all fucking mopey on the beach. And, like, he's, like, yeah, I forget our friends, like, you know, look at all these other people who have made connections they've imprinted on their mates. And they're all, like, age-appropriate relationships, you know, of, like, people that seem like 
their, you know, like, attractiveness level pairing. Like, there's no, like, fucking 60-year-old woman imprinted on, like, a 12-year-old boy. Um, so, again, I, I just find this concept very intriguing that it's, it's like they did it just to do it. Like, it, Jacob imprinting on fucking revisionism-y fucking just seems like a hot take to have a hot take. Well, you know what it is? is they, it's they, like, they do it just to give him something to do. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. And at that point, the only characters that aren't in a romantic relationship are Jacob and the toddler. <laughs> so I guess that's the only possible pairing. They couldn't certainly couldn't introduce another character that maybe he could fall in love with. Yeah, see, this is just, like, there was, like, a little bit of steam generated in the first three movies. For three films that are as long as they are, not a lot of energy. But there's a little bit. And then this movie is just, like, someone just took a little fucking safety pin to the to the balloon of momentum. And just, like, and then just, you just feel all the energy just fucking coming out of this, this fucking balloon-headed fucking movie series. I, I do want to talk about something that I did like, though. This this was early on in the movie when, you know, we, we get some fun stuff at the Cullen compound, uh, where, you know, with them, like, setting up the wedding and, like, you know, oh, we're going to teach Bella how to walk in really good heels and all this stuff. Heels on, I will say, an, uh, an earth, it's a, an outdoor wedding. So that's heels on, on loam. You don't want to wear heels on loam. Um, but anyway, there, there's this bit where, you know, uh, Edward is visiting Bella in her bedroom again, and then all of the vampire bros show up because they're gonna have they're gonna have a stag night, a <laughs> literal stag night. They're just gonna like have a great right. wild hunt as as his equivalent of the bachelor party. And I honestly I thought that was so sweet because it represent because it, it represented sort of a certain level of both friendship but emotional intimacy between men and like. Edward and his peers, like they all, they seem to have a really healthy relationship with each other. And I love that they're all excited that Edward's getting married. Like, you know, that I thought that was really sweet. And I wish these movies had more emotional dynamics like that. I wish we could see more of the emotional dynamics between peers in these movies. Right. I mean, like, aside from Alice, um, and like the, the you don't get a lot of like energy from these from the Cullens. They're just kind of just like we're just gorgeous background people. <laughs> um, they don't do a whole hell of a lot in these movies. But also, I think we we did kind of bypass a huge plot point though, because before they're married, um, Edward reveals that back in the day he kind of like broke away from like you know the more fucking vegetarian vampire lifestyle. It was actually fucking killing motherfuckers. And I love the scene where he's in the movie theater because uh, he's watching Bride of Frankenstein. That's right. Which is a huge reference. I mean, especially from Bill Condon because he did Gods and Monsters, all about James Whale, who directed fucking the Frankenstein films. So I like that this is a movie that exists where fucking Frankenstein exists, at least. Not Dracula, but <laughs> Frankenstein. Oh, no. I mean, somebody does mention Dracula in the final film. So, like, oh, yeah. The movies, they've seen the movies, and I, I'll admit, I am a sucker for vampire movies where the vampires watch movies. Oh, it's, uh, you fucking, know, it's awesome. Yeah, Bram Stoker's Dracula does this. There's a beautiful, that beautiful montage, an interview with the vampire. Like, I yep. think that's, I, I, I am I am a sucker for that, and it places these monsters in, in a context. But, but yeah, that was also a neat kind of, like, 
a, a neat diversion that this film takes. It gives Edward a bit more of an inner life. Um, you know, it, it, it cements him because like they they play around that he's a bad boy, but he's clearly not until this scene where he turns out was involved in some vigilante killings. I, I'm kind of shocked that that didn't come back in Breaking Dawn Part 2. I was sure that, like, somebody he killed was going to come back as a vampire or something, but I guess Right, that's or, like, the grandson of someone yeah. that, you know, some yeah. shit like that. Yeah, or, or one of the people he killed turned out to be related to Bella, like a, a yeah, grandfather right. or something. Or, like, you know, it's like, mysteriously. yeah, Jacob's grandfather or something like that. But no, it's just a weird diversion. It comes right. and it goes, and she and she forgives him, and and they know that is that is her right. But at the at the same time, I wish, yeah, it's like there's no stakes. Like that should have had some more consequences later down the line. Oh, and also, it's this like kind of lazy writers thing that I refer to as like the moral qualifier. Is that like yeah, he was killing people, but like he killed murderers and rapists and shit, or you know what I mean? And it's like so it's okay. Not like so the conflict feels so like flat and un un like uh, you can't really interact with it. Like if he like let's say he fucking like killed someone because he thought they were like a murderer when in fact they're performing like you know street side surgery to save a homeless guy or so, you know what I mean? Like if there was like an accidental death of someone who wasn't actually bad, you know what I mean? Like yeah, or or if the person he killed was like the breadwinner for a family and now exactly. he's created a bunch of impoverished orphans. Like right, like that. Otherwise, it's just like oh, well, but I'm basically Dexter, so it's fucking cool. Whatever. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> if Dexter was a vampire. <laughs> I, you know what? I'm sure if they get another season at some point, that's going to happen. That might happen, actually. It wouldn't be so strange. So, um, yeah, I think overall this movie, Breaking Dawn Part 1, I would say I would say sequel no to it. It's just a lot of work for, for something that I don't think really pays off, and it's all set up for... Clearly, where the big conflict is coming in the next film with the whole jury, or yeah, I guess, or is it? But we can talk about that next week. But yeah, it is just a lot of busyness, and uh, I like the makeup. I like seeing some of Brazil that they shot some of in in Rio de Janeiro, and they go to kind of that street festival. Beautiful photography. Yeah, yeah. Well, well shot, neat, and the the boat right up to the island. I liked, but I mean, overall, this just feels like. It's just uh, treading water until the next movie, and I felt that same way about the um, the second film as well. Uh, I can't even remember what the name is because all these Twilight Breaking Dawn Mo- Part Two. <laughs> no, a New Moon. Sorry, New Moon. Oh, I thought yes. was a bit like treading water as well. Like doesn't really push the f- story forward that much. So, um, yeah, sequel no. Um, Alex, uh, sequel no. This is a stupid movie. Um, it's. All, there's no energy or momentum to it of any kind, really. And then it just, like, again, it's like you're, this film isn't, like, a, mature enough to have these, like, fucking, you know, lofty fucking conversations about, like, morality and, you know, procreation and abortion and, you know, the rights of the body and agency over one's own body. It's like, it's just... If it just, like, accepted that what it's doing is kind of stupid and had fun with it, you might have a better film. But that's not what's going on here. It's 
like oddly self-serious for it's like oddly self-serious and just too immature to actually articulate whatever it's trying to say. And I'm not sure what it's trying to say is really anything of any importance. So it's just kind of a fucking blah plotch of fucking two hours of gray material. I don't know. Yeah. And I think what, what it is is the, the craft of filmmaking is on display. This film is gorgeously shot. It is well acted. The makeup is amazing the score is wonderful however the craft of storytelling is not present in this film there's no character there's very little plot uh there's very little there's really nothing at stake aside from aside from bella's health but it's we it's a foregone conclusion what's going to happen so there's no tension there so yeah, that's 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 a, a, a sequel. No, you know, it's it's the difference between like the craft is there, the art isn't. Exactly. Uh, sequel, like, no. This is like Bill Condon is an artist. He's a very talented director, but it's basically like you have to sign this contract of like you can't be an artist here. You have to satisfy box office demands, play it safe, be a little freaky, but don't don't freak anyone out. You know, and that's like the mo of the series. Yeah, it wants to be a vampire film without being a vampire film. Exactly. And wants to be a romance without going into sort of the adult implications of that. With the, I mean, you could even see this movie as sort of like a, I don't know if it's exactly teenage pregnancy, but it's pretty close enough. Well, she's what, 18? But, yeah, it's yeah. Teenage, I guess, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. teenage pregnancy, so. even though she is legally of age. Right. And also, like, this is what happens when you take the gothic mythos out of vampire, vampirism. Right. It's sort of a it's not dirty <laughs> it's not some yeah yeah it, it, you know that's what it is it's that line from bruce sterling's schismatrix saga where is the sin yeah, exactly mm, yeah right it's kind of a uh, toothless no pun intended but <laughs> let's go on to uh <laughs> What you watching? I watched a movie on uh, Netflix that was was better than I was expecting. It's uh, directed by Kenya Barris and uh, co-written by Bar- uh, Kenya Barris and Jonah Hill. It is You People, and it it's sort of a not literally, but in a lot of ways, it's kind of a remake of Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, where it has uh, Jonah Hill is uh, a white guy, a white Jewish guy is dating a. Well, uh, well, slow down. Yeah, Jonah Hill's white. <laughs> he is. He is. He does have quite a tan in this film, but he's white, and he's uh, he's dating uh, Amira, played by Lauren London, who is black, and so the the families have to meet, and the the father is uh, her father is played by Eddie Murphy, and nice. he is into uh, Farrakhan, and so it kind of gets into to politics and uh, religion and race relations. Yes. Was was this script written in like 1998? Because I feel like <laughs> Farrakhan has not been politically relevant since 1998. No, but sometimes it sort of feels like it in some way. I mean, it does lay things on the table, and it, it's you know Eddie Murphy in his first R-rated movie in a very very long time, and that it, they'll get sort of blunt and uh, and there's some there's less of the physical comedy antics I was expecting. I mean, the the actors that play. Jonah Hill's parents are David Duchovny and Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Okay, um, interesting. And it, it does have, you know, it gets more dramatic in points than I was expecting. It gets sort of serious. It, um, 
surprisingly gets to them getting engaged very quickly. That part I wasn't quite expecting, but it uh, has a lot of um, rap music and some 90s rap music and, uh, you know, does a lot of shows, a lot of sneaker stores and stuff on L.A. Uh, So, I mean, it's it's good. Some of it's kind of predictable, but I think it's. I think it's worth seeing overall. It's fun to see Eddie Murphy do a part that's sort of different. And it makes Was me it more hopeful. dramatic than comical? Uh, not really. Maybe half and half. Maybe slightly more comical. But some of the dramatic scenes, they sort of get into it. I mean, as I was watching it with my wife, and she's like, people don't speak like this about race and stuff. And I'm like, well, no, they don't. But it's a movie, and you have to... You know, it's like they're kind of bringing up the worst things about either side in these topics and being very blunt and, and stuff and sort of, you know, it's trying to make that nightmare scenario of, so, oh, got to meet the parents. So I've, I have heard, I've, I actually have read some reviews of, of this. Most of them have been pretty negative, but a refrain I've heard a lot is that if you if you just made this an interracial couple, but didn't make a big deal about it. And it was all just more organic family awkwardness. It would, it would be a more effective movie. Do you agree with that assessment? Or do you think that, that making like race a more central focus has actually helps the comedy? I like that race is sort of a central focus, but I mean, it does, it's not subtle about it. Right. So it's very on the nose at times, maybe too much. So, but, uh, and it was something different. I I think overall I, I liked it. The ending I don't seems a bit rushed. Uh but yeah, overall, overall I think I enjoyed it. Um there is a scene towards the end where uh, two characters kiss and it's apparently done via CG. Which is what? Strange. <laughs> yeah, it's like it kind of forces them two together and or was it like a like a COVID thing? They they were worried about an actual <laughs> on screen kiss. Might have been. I mean, they kiss at other parts in the film, so it's just sort of it's a strain. Maybe it, it was. Maybe it's done for defect and for effect because it's sort of like a fantasy kind of feeling at the end. And stuff is wrapping up, but um, but yeah, you people on Netflix, uh, it makes me hopeful for Eddie Murphy's. He's doing a Beverly Hills Cop four, which has been development forever. Is coming out on Netflix yeah. uh, later this year. So. Well, I guess we'll cover that. Yeah, yeah, because that was the very first uh, films we covered on. Oh, yeah. The yeah. cast was Beverly Hills Cup. So there you go. Um, Thrasher, what have you been watching? So I decided to dip back into the Stephanie Meyer well, uh, uh, and I watched uh, 2013's The Host, which is also based on the Stephanie Meyer novel. Okay. So, this is another romance, but the fantasy angle is science fiction, where essentially it's sort of a body snatchers thing. It's like overnight, a huge chunk of the human population gets taken over by these like mind controlling aliens that live in your body. Uh, and so the uh, the the but the twist is um, the alien. So the aliens are like they look like these little like dandelion puffs, and they you know get into your neck, attached to your brain, and they take you over. But it's uh, in this case, the human host normally, as near as I can tell, anyway, the human like brain just shuts off when the alien takes over. But for whatever reason, this host remains conscious within a body she cannot control, which you'd think would be a horror premise. But this movie uses it as an excuse for romance. Uh, 
so basically the alien parasite and the human consciousness like talk to each other and kind of have effectively dueling narration and internal monologues throughout the film. And then the alien starts having feelings. Uh, Short version is the alien ends up moving in with a group of free humans who are living secretly in a cave in the desert and then starts falling in love with a human. And that's where the conflict comes from uh, because the human consciousness is in love with one person. The alien consciousness is in love with another, but the alien consciousness is going to use the human consciousness's body to show its affection to the human it's in love with who may not love her back because she is part alien and the humans rightfully have a grudge against these aliens that have taken over the earth. And Everything in this would be, every element of this would be much better for either a horror story or real sort of psychological movie, but it's not that. It's a romance. And as a result, and again, it has sort of hidebound sexual politics, it makes for kind of, I guess for lack of a better term, a very flaccid romance. So, I mean, when the alien subconscious or however they portray it in the film does the alien part have a different voice does it uh yes the alien uh has its own voice so it's it's always clear who's talking uh when you hear the voice which is which is nice but it's not like i am an alien i (laughs) love this person (laughs) oh oh no it's it's like it's it's one of those things where like it speaks very naturally but like it rarely uses contractions and it sort of talk, and it talks like it always knows what's right. Because as far as the alien's concerned, it does. I see. Although I and the, although for for all the movie's flaws, it has there's a there's a fascinating thing because like the aliens, the aliens are sort of like very peaceful, very communal, and as far as they're concerned, they saved the Earth because they believe they can manage its resources better, and. The aliens, like, they basically have no art, no culture, like, no nothing. They just have this desire to inhabit these bodies and continue living, uh, which, again, could be explored but isn't. But one of the side effects of this is when they take over the Earth, they sort of strip away all the human bullshit. So, like, there's no money. The aliens just, like, walk into stores, take what they want, and leave. Uh and hmm. like nobody, and because that's just the way they work. So as a result, there's like a whole thing where some of the humans sneak out of the compound and just walk into a store and take a bunch of supplies and leave, uh, which is kind of a, a funny, a, like a funny thing. And, and also the aliens are completely trusting and almost entirely like nonviolent to the point where you could go up to an alien and say, "Oh, excuse me, friend, I really need your car," and they'll be like, "Oh, of course, take the car." But because they've stripped away the human bullshit, the store there's no logo. It's just, it just says store. And when you walk through the store, all the products, it's just boxes and it's labeled like grain, rice, soup, in just a really matter of fact font. And like repo I thought man? that, pardon? Like Repo Man? Yeah, yeah, kind of like that. And like that everything, everything is sort of made generic and blunt in a, in a way that I sort of found fascinating and weirdly beautiful. Like I, I like that was that was a brilliant concept. Uh, although to the point, although the fact that the aliens don't have any art or culture or stories of their own, they just sort of show up and inhabit bodies. You could have used that to comment on something, whether it was colonialism or or or, or really anything, frankly. But they don't. It's just sort of there. Uh, the two, but the two things that kind of 
do bother with me is that it, it kind of come down to a toothless ending that sets up a sequel that never happened is that in the end, um, the alien shows the, it shows a human doctor in the compound, how to safely remove the, the parasites from their bodies, because what in a scene that's actually, I think more, again, more horrific than the filmmakers intended. She discovers that they've been experimenting on humans with parasites, trying to remove them. And every time they remove them, it kills the parasite and it kills the hosts. And she shows them how to safely remove the parasite in a way that doesn't kill either. Uh, and in fact, restores the human co the human consciousness. And they reach this compromise, okay, well, we'll use this technique to remove the parasites, but then we'll put the parasites into these space capsules and we'll just blast them into space. Uh, so no one has to die, the parasites get to keep living. But they, she does establish, because she shows them, they have these like networks they use to send up space capsules, and she shows them how the network works. And she says, you know, oh, but make sure you send them to the most distant planet so it'll take forever for them to arrive and take forever for the aliens to know that this is what we're doing on Earth. But then it occurred to me, well, is it the most distant planet just the next planet you're going to conquer? Aren't, aren't, you, aren't you saying it's Tal Seti's problem now? Weird thing about the host, it is the last mainstream film Roger Ebert reviewed before his death in 2013. Oh, oh shit. Bit of lore. I'm glad I brought it up so. now. And, and I guess the other thing is when when the main when the main girl has her parasite removed, the parasite specifically says, you know, I've lived thousands of years, I've been a part of the conquest of many planets. I now know what love is. I am ready to die. So when you remove me, just let me die. But of course, what happens is one of the humans they removed a parasite from, her consciousness didn't come back. She's just in a coma. So they just put the alien in her. So she gets a consequence-free body and continues existing, which was against her wishes. Which is pretty fucked up. It's, re it's really taking, the movie's taking a hardline stance against the right to die with dignity. I guess so. Interesting. All right. Well, uh, what about you, Alex? I um, actually did a rewatch uh, this past week. Um, have either of you heard of the new Cronenberg uh, movie, Crimes of the Future? Yes. I've not yeah. seen it, but yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah. So it's a, he had made a film called Crimes of the Future in the past as one of his like student films. This is not that. This is something entirely different. It is so fucking cool. It is Cronenberg at like full tilt weirdness like is like a little renaissance in like the early 2000s so like a history of violence and eastern promises like that was all cool and everything but this is like a fucking in no pun intended return to form um this is straight up it's not like body horror but like a meta commentary on I guess like art culture but like through the oh, guise wow. of like body mo bodily modification but like it's like psychic exhibition surgery, but it's also really fucking funny. Like, this movie takes place in a world that is just not this one, where you can, like, imprint like you can, like, psychic imprint organs into other people and then extract them before a live audience. And, like, and if you're really good at it, even do, like, tattoos in people's organs, like, before extracting them. It's fucking crazy. Um, and it is so fucking out there. 
And it's also really funny for like, there's always a sense of humor in Cronenberg's films. That I think we all, we tend to forget, but this is like actual like fucking moments that are just like fucking hilarious. But like, they're just scooched in there under the radar in this like really, really, really subversive way. Um, I would highly recommend it. It's one of my favorite films of 2022. Very good. You know, I've seen some interviews and uh, they they picked uh, Kristen Stewart for the film because Robert Pattinson had worked with Cronenberg a lot and recommended her. And um, in some interviews they floated, oh, why don't you do a film with uh, Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart together? And he's like, oh, that's a really good idea. So Ooh. we will see them get back together for a Cronenberg film. Nice. You never know. So, all right, we got a sequel scene you, you dialed up. Uh, uh, yeah, so this this actually is the scene of uh, of the lads coming to get uh, to mm. get uh, uh, Edward for his stag do. It's like four characters, is that right? Oh, you know what? Yeah, there's yeah, there's Bella, and then like three three dudes. Okay, so who wants to be what part? Uh, I'll do I'll do Bella. Okay. I will be uh, I'll be Jasper. Okay, I guess I'll be Emmett and Edward. You're the okay. ease. The ease, <laughs> then if you can do the parenthetical thrasher, oh, sure. that would be great. Okay, so let's go. What is that? From outside. Come on, let's go. I'm late for my bachelor party. Send him out, Bella, or we're coming in after him. So this party, will there be strippers? He laughs. No, just a couple of mountain lions, maybe a few bears. Don't worry, Bella. We'll give him back in plenty of time. Okay, go before they break my house. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so the breaking the house line—that's in reference to like the vampires keep like jumping up and clinging to the outside wall of the house. Like, come on, bring them out. It's actually the most exciting part of the movie, which is really saying something. <laughs> it, it is, and, and, and there, there's a bit of lightness to it, and it's, uh, yeah, it, I mean, you know what this, you know what this scene movie needed is a scene a little later that same night where it's Edward and the vampire bros sitting around a campfire in the middle of the woods, surrounded by just stripped, bloody bare bones, and they're covered head to toe in gore, and then Edward's like, you know. I mean, am I ready for this commitment? Am I really going to be a good husband? <laughs> See, I thought it would be hilarious, like, if, like, Bella wakes up and, like, Edward's passed out on a couch with, like, a thong hang off his ear, blood sprayed all over his neck, like, dicks drawn on his forehead and Sharpie, you know? I'm like, that's yeah. a vampire bachelor party I could I could picture. Oh, It's like some creepy they, Godfather 2 shit happened. I don't know. Maybe they uh, killed someone. <laughs> maybe instead of dicks, it's uh, werewolves drawn on his face. Yeah, <laughs> werewolves peeing. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's good. Yeah, the, the lifted leg. Well, um, next week, speaking of werewolves peeing, we'll be talking about <laughs> Twilight Saga: Breaking Dawn Part Two, and Indeed wrapping up will. this Twilight adventure that I'm sure Alex is glad he uh, dragged us into. Oh, mixed feelings, mixed feelings, mixed feelings. But I mean, I think you know <laughs> something we've meant to cover, and uh, it's. I think it, it's. Uh, I mean, it it is one of the important. most significant franchises of the 2000s, you know, yeah, re, re, yeah. whether we like it or not. Well, I figured, it, you it know, true. I'm always going to recommend these like fucking, you know, like, uh, you know, 
international gangster films that like sure. five people have seen. So I figured I'd do something with a little more commercial viability. Oh, it makes sense. Uh, so uh, you can download more episodes of the website. Or fuck me. You can download episodes of the podcast at sequelcast2.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at MATWBT. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at WT2Art. You can follow me on Twitter at CrabNebula1914. And if you go on YouTube, type in the words Burnt by the Sun Experimental Film, you'll see my, what I can now call, award-winning uh, short feature that I've directed. Um, uh-huh. It's getting and who, some festival. Who was that Sorry. you did an interview with? Uh, yes, I did an interview with the uh, Multidimension Independent Film Festival. Um, you can get a little peek behind the curtain there if you want to check that out. Um, yeah, it's been picked up by 10 festivals and it's played of those 10, seven as an award winner, two as a finalist, and one as an honorable mention. I think that math adds up. So what Marvel movie are you going to be doing in two years? Oh, I, I hope it's going to be um, the Persuader <laughs> f- feature. <laughs> Remember the Persuader? Isn't that like one Punisher issue? <laughs> That's that's the guy I'm going to fucking there's going to be a huge renaissance around the persuader. Oh. I'm reminded how I had a, a short film rejected from uh, Trauma Dance. Uh, oh, yeah. And it was called I filmed it in my basement. It's called Crotch the Motion Picture. It's about <laughs> at the end of every scene. Someone gets kicked in the crotch pretty much. Um, <laughs> it, I, I, I found the original. I don't have the original cut of it, but I found the original high eight tape that I just need to pay to get them transferred, and then I need to recut it, uh, re-edit it. But like I did the soundtrack by filming myself playing my uh, electronic keyboard, and <laughs> it had way too much music. And I hope um, that footage is on there. Otherwise, I'll have to redo the music. But it, it, it's like that. I was what, 19 or something when I made it, and it's like. The first scene is someone walking to a house, and it's like, it lasts a whole minute. Like, it's pretty awful. Like, it's like, oh, I want to do this shot of him opening the door, and I want to do this shot of the... And it's like, just show him in the house. You don't even need the exterior of the house anymore. But it, it, awesome. it does it does feel like if you go back and, and watch, like, a 1950s film, how it shows, like, everything. Right, like, right. Like, you need every single context. And, um... You know- I really yeah. need to digitize Pizza the Delivering. Yeah, you have those videotapes, right? Yes, I do. Yeah, um, I need to see these gems. I, yeah, I wanted to... Um, I looked into buying the equipment, and like it was just cheaper to take it to a guy to do it. Mm. So... But yeah, so look forward to Crotch the Motion Picture <laughs> appearing sometime <laughs> soon. Uh, there is bloopers. I also made documentaries called Inside Crotch, or maybe Behind Crotch, <laughs> or, or something. <laughs> uh, that Up front um, with Crotch. <laughs> right. And I forget if we used... At one point, I think we, we gently tossed my cat into someone's crotch area to make it look like the cat hit them in the crotch but we did it in one take and the cat was pretty mad but it was a gentle toss understandably so i think so yeah yes um so animal stunts i mean that's for a film whose budget i think was under 200 dollars for and those are for lights that didn't really work get a wrangler (laughs) credit yeah yeah i could get something or other and um but i I did air it what on the georgia and the gsu uh tv georgia state university um their TV nice. station and like no one ever commented on it at all. Or they're like, 
Well, that was a theme, I guess. But uh, anyhow, I'm, I'm rambling. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I'll be excited to, to get that on hopefully later this year. Yeah, please so, do. Yep, yep. So for Sequel Cast 2, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. This is Alex. Saying, drink this blood shake. Should have been a tie in for Sonic. <laughs> Sonic drive through. Twilight blood shakes. Blub, With bub. real cherry flavor. O positive orange. I, I love that it's. <laughs> I love that it's specifically Sonic. <laughs>